0: Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40-something geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist, and all I want to do is curl up with a good book. Well, maybe like a pile of books. Certainly less than a horde of books, but but certainly not by much.
1: And I am David Moore, and I've been sleeping in the 8th Library lately, catching up on reading and media. Uh, So uh, evidently, I have taken your dream um, lately, at least least in this last week or so. so go ahead and tell us about about the books that and and things that you want to read. Yes, yeah, so I I have really been assembling this horde. It's it's kind of funny. Like you
0: sit down and all of a sudden you realize like you have this search of search stack of I guess it's also a search of books as I so I kind of secret them away in uh, in um in GoodReader. But in any case, so. I am currently reading uh, Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, which is obviously the follow-up to Ready Player One, also by Ernest Cline. Um, and it is, it's probably about what you would expect. Uh, it's more video game nostalgia. It's more fetch quests. I would say it's, it's not as good as the original, um, although good is highly subjective in this context. Uh, I think he does some good things in terms of inclusiveness, um, but I was hoping for more out-of-the-book like, I don't, mm. I don't know. I think he's, he's got his shtick and he is doing his shtick and it is enjoyable, such as it is. Um, his main character makes some dubious decisions. Um, I'm just not, i, I I've, I'm stuck on the last like 10% of the book for the last couple of weeks, just because I haven't sat down and finished <laughs> the stupid book.
1: <laughs> like, like dubious as in dubious out of character or dubious as in why, why would you make that choice? But it well, would be possibly right, in so- character i think this is one of these things so here's
0: the thing right and and so first of all in in ready player one you have uh the main character wade is going up against big evil corporation Big Hmm. Big, big evil corporation makes lots of dubious moral choices including some uh just outright terrible moral choices at the end of uh ready player one i don't think this is a big uh spoiler wade wins um, and now he and his friends, can they, they're the ones who can own the corporation, they're the ones who can make the decisions. And so unfortunately, at the beginning of the book, Wade is starting to make bad decisions, which sets up some of the conflict that drives some of the story. But he's doing things like, you know, okay, so if you're the equivalent of Bill Gates, Gates or Steve Jobs, and you can go in and look at any particular individual's user data, would you do that? Like, no. <laughs> right? Like that is a bad choice. You shouldn't go out and look at people's information just because you can, right? Evil corporations do that. I work in IT. That would be irresponsible. You only do this sort of thing when you must do this sort of thing, because someone has said that you need to go in and do it because there, you know, there are reasons why you need to go in and look at user data is appropriate for debugging or some other situation. There's been a breach, right? But you always do it with the highest regard for the user's information right and so it just rubbed me wrong that you know cool you know you fought the big you know big evil corporation and won but now you're in this position and with infinite power comes infinite responsibility except you know yeah i'm just going to go off and look at user information and there's a couple of other choices that are dubious like that like you have infinite cosmic power within the system and he's going in and like basically beating bullying um other users in the system who badmouth him. And all uh, of this I think was meant to describe how like Wade is still a young kid. He's like, I think in this
1: book he's like 20 or something like that. Right. We all made boards, you know. But he never really reflects on the, hey, this is what was done to me in the right. last book. Maybe I shouldn't do it to other people. Right. Right.
0: And so part of it too is, you know, it's so uh, it suffers a little bit from the Superman Two phenomenon, right? Like you've got Superman. Uh, you need to depower Superman so that he has a challenge to overcome, hmm. right? Like you've given your hero infinite cosmic power. You need to strip him of his infinite cosmic power so that you may have, like, you can provide him with challenges because you don't know how
1: to write for Superman. <laughs> well, I mean, Ready Player One wasn't written with a sequel in mind. I, I would, I'm, I'm supposing, but it certainly doesn't look, li- doesn't read like it was written with a sequel in mind with how yes. awesomely Wade wins at the end. Right. Like, like, what's the downside? Like, yes, life continues on, which is kind of like what Ready Player Two is sounding like from you, for me, but it doesn't sound... Right. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound like it was planned as a life continues on, let's keep telling the story. It was a, oh, Ready Player One was really successful. Maybe if we write a a sequel to it, it will be pretty cool too right and I will say like from a spoiler situation all the stuff I've
0: discussed for red or Re- Ready player two that all happened I think within the first chapter right like setting up Wade has come into his own and what does he do with it right mm-hmm. um and so I don't know it just it, it rubbed me wrong like this the setup like I don't know that we need to It is more if you liked Ready Player One, there will be things about Ready Player Two that you very much enjoyed. I think the only I agree with you, I suspect the only thing that Ernest Cline had going into the sequel was a title Ready Player Two, because obviously that's what the the sequel would be called. Right. Me personally, I could have seen flipping it and Ready Player Two being about the person who takes on Wade, right? Because Wade is he's the antagonist now. He made bad choices because he is just a teenager with infinite cosmic power set that up as the dynamic that might have been a more interesting story yeah um yeah you know like the redemption quest of wade because he has lost his way um but in any case ready player 2 it's not very the the most amusing thing about ready player 2 for me is nothing about the book when i ordered the book i accidentally ordered the large print version
1: (laughs) i remember you i remember you uh i think posting that on twitter at one point
0: yeah. So, you know, it's it's hilarious. Like I get the book. I'm like, oh, this isn't this is a little beefier than ready player one. Like this is going to have like a, there must be more story here. And then I, I pull it out and I'm like flipping through the text and I'm like, why is the text so big? <laughs> I look <laughs> at the cover and it says, oh, uh, yeah, large print format, which I am sure I am not the only 48 year old uh, geek out there who can benefit from a large format book. And certainly I have not had to use my reading glasses while reading my copy of Ready Player (laughs) Two. I just don't, it was not a conscious choice on my part. I would rather have the readers and read a normal sized book than get the large format book. But you know, if you get it, if anyone out there, if you got the large format book, not judging, I just, uh, (laughs) it was not something I meant to do. So other books that are on the pile that are kind of stacked up behind uh, Ernest Klein is uh, Star Wars, thrawn ascendancy star wars thrawn ascendancy ascendancy i can't say ascendancy <laughs> thrawn ascendancy book one chaos rising which this may be the longest star wars book title <laughs> that has ever been released it's ridiculous i don't care because it's thrawn um it's uh it's timothy zan like this is star wars for me so i can't wait to delve into it
1: it's it's weird. Like a lot of the Thrawn stuff came out and is considered legacy now, not yes. canon. So I'm wondering. But Thrawn is canon because he was in Rebels. So yes. I'm wondering how much is going to stay the same from Legacy and how much is going to change. In, like, like is this the first Thrawn book in the in the Star Wars canon? The new. No, Star this Wars is the canon? second trilogy. No, this is the second trilogy. Okay.
0: So they did. The first three books kind of reintroduced it was it was Thrawn's origin story within the new canon, right? Okay. And so how he show like how Vader finds him, how he meets Vader, and then there's some flashbacks that include the Clone Wars, um, and it's it's pretty good stuff. I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed the first book and the second book, the uh, first and third books in that trilogy the most. Um, but overall, I think he does a he does a really good job with it.
1: Now Thrawn was the in the Legacy series. Thrawn was the one that had where um, the Asalamiri, the the yes. force pushing away lizards and and the clone of Luke and the clone of the emperor. Yes. With the yes. extra So you remember, extra you're remembering it way better than I am. With the extra vowels.
0: <laughs> <that> Luke... Yes. <laughs> Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there was, there was that was those were those books. And um and so I haven't actually gotten to that part of Rebels to see where he shows up. And I know he's in he, Rebels, but I he just shows haven't gotten up that far toward the right. end
1: of the series. Um, and right. they do a really good job with him there. Um, they don't talk about Yasalamiri or anything like that, but they do bring in his uh, his. He has a lot of art, art and artifacts from other civilizations, but they don't explain necessarily why, like they do in the original. Trilogy books in the Legacy series, so I don't know how much people who are newly introduced to Thrawn will understand that he that by studying the artwork he can understand how that person how a an individual from that society would act. Um, right, you know, um, I don't think they really they hint at it a lot, but I don't know that it is something that would get caught because it's explicitly. It's, it, it's explicitly revealed in the books, but it's not explicitly revealed in, in rebels. Right. And so they, they get, he gets into that again in the, in the first trilogy. Okay.
0: Cool. And so the, the first trilogy is also interesting because Thrawn is this guy, he's got this intellect. He, he can learn about cultures through all of this research. And so he, even though the, the Death Star project is obviously this big Imperial secret, He's seeing signs that resources are being diverted. And so part of the story, which is kind of cool, is him realizing there's this mega project going on in the galaxy and he doesn't know what it is, right? Because he's rising up through the ranks. He's not, mm. He doesn't start off as Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, so that's cool. I mean, I, I enjoy the books. I think I'm looking forward to reading this one. The next book I have on my pile is Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson, which, if it were a real book, would be like double the size of the pile because it's like 1,000 pages, 1,100 pages.
1: Or 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 it could be really really thin pages and a lot shorter. Right.
0: True. So this is the um, the fourth book in the Stormlight Archives. Uh, it's big, epic science fiction. My son loves it. He and I've been re- he's been reading it. He's actually not quite gotten done with it because he's learned. I think this is a very important thing for Neutron Lad. He has learned that when he loves a book, he should pace himself while reading it because <laughs> it, it will be over and then. He will no longer have it to read. When he was younger, he would solve this problem by just rereading the books like five times. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. But now that he's fourteen, he's matured a bit, and he's actually savoring the book instead of just like blowing right through it. So, uh, well, re- so that's on the Rereading
1: file. a thousand pages five times takes a while too. So yes,
0: and I, I can't say that he reread the Stormlight Archives uh, that many times. He did reread all of them over the summer in anticipation of this book coming out in the fall. Um, so he's read them all at least twice.
1: I had that plan for the, the latest two Dresden Files novels. Like I, I, was, I like picked up a pack of, uh, I think it's like one through five on the Kindle. They had a bundle, um, like an mm-hmm. omnibus edition. And, uh, and then, then the actual book came out. And I'm like, I'm going to read the actual book uh, rather than reread. <laughs> but <laughs> right. so, so I have it. <laughs> if I run out of stuff to read. Um, that isn't new. Uh, I will uh, I will dig into those again because those were good and I could use a, a refresher on it. But
0: yeah, and so I also have uh, the Children of Time by um, Adrian. And I'm going to massacre
1: his last name, so I apologize. This uh, Tychkovsky. I, I don't um, know. It looks like Tychovsky or <laughs> Tychovsky.
0: I'm eh, not sure. It's in the show notes, so you guys can go and find it and tell me how we're actually supposed to pronounce it. Um, I suppose if I did more research, Google would tell me how to do this. But in any case, um, this is uh, like the, the the blurb is epic story of humanity's battle for survival on a terraformed planet. And that was the hook that got me to add it to like one of the auxiliaries on my summer reading list. And so I bought the book and just, you know, it's sitting there waiting to be read. And then um, rounding things out is The Saints of Salvation by Peter F. Hamilton. I'm really I really enjoy Peter F. Hamilton's work. This is epic space opera, transhumans battling against aliens intent on saving us so that they can uh, we can meet their god at the end of time. Like, they show up, okay. scrape out your brains, throw you into a cocoon, and then, you know, you get loaded onto one of their arcs and you, you travel to the end of time with them. <laughs> huh. Obviously, humanity is not super thrilled about this idea, and so... Uh, we send off our, our our spawn out into the various edges of the galaxy to try and like regroup after Earth is invaded. And now in this book, um, we are preparing, hopefully, to actually fight the big fight. Um, so Peter F. Hamilton is great when he's doing big epic space opera. He's doing big epic space opera, so I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Cool. Um,
1: yeah, it, I mean that that setup sounds like someone heard about the Mego from H.P. Lovecraft. Yes, <laughs>
0: and then decided,
1: okay, I can I can work with this.
0: Yes, I think they're perhaps slightly more benevolent in so much as they're taking us along with
1: them, but well, there's yes. never really any <laughs> any reasons like that humans can understand for at the time of why they're doing what they're doing. So, this is very true. So, yeah. It's
0: just brains in jars. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, The other thing I wanted to just mention, uh, my birthday's coming up. That's okay, guys. You don't have to send me any presents because by the time we get this podcast, I'll probably be 49. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Distinct possibility. uh, No, I will be 49 because I'm I'm, I'm 48, going to be 49. I'll be 50 by the time this podcast comes out. But in any case, I'm kidding. We're getting into our release schedule guys don't worry uh but coming up for my birthday you know putting together my birthday list and so there's two things i'm interested in both are games for the switch because uh, i don't have enough games for the switch one is uh fire emblem three houses so i think i may have talked about this one before um, I think you did. fire emblem is this epic japanese role-playing game where you had it's like squad level armies Um, Like you've got 20 or different combatants that go up against other combatants and there's these big epic stories and what have you. And I told myself I would not get this until I finished the version I had on the 3DS. And then I um, misplaced my 3DS. I I have no idea where it is. It may actually be officially lost at this point. Um, You know, misplaced is usually good for a month or two. After a month or two, you probably have to switch to just admitting that it was lost. Yeah. So... With that said, <laughs> that means I can get Fire Emblem Three Houses for the Switch because I still know where my uh, Switch is. And uh, the other one, which I'm I'm thinking would be a great game for my son and I to play and my daughter, if she wants to join in, uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order. So this is okay. basically just like the whole Marvel superhero pantheon thrown into a video game that's kind of like got Diablo-style gameplay. So is it multiplayer? Is it is. Oh, it okay. is. So you can have at least up to two people playing at once. It may be more than that. I'm not
1: sure. Like if you connect multiple controllers, like you can connect up to four, four or eight controllers. I don't know how many. Um, yes. But that would be, yeah, that would be pretty cool to, to take a look at.
0: Yeah. So it's up to four players. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So it's up to four players. So Jordy and like uh, my, my daughter and, and uh, my son can easily join in playing this and uh seems like a great thing to play over Christmas. And it's gotten pretty good reviews. Like one of my friends is a big Marvel fan like me. He's a big X-Men guy and he swears by it. So or at least previous iterations of it not so much on the Switch. So I am uh I'm looking forward to it. Like getting like you know Guardians of the galaxy. It's got like all of the X-Men like <laughs> I haven't played a good Marvel game in a very long time. This looks like it would scratch that particular itch.
1: Cool. So you've got books too i do i do like i said i was sleeping in the eighth library um i should have said the ninth library uh because my currently my current book that i'm reading is gideon the ninth um which is the first in a series um and i i really like it um it's really hard to really hard to describe it has a warhammer 40k feel Because it's in the theoretical far future. It may not even be like an Earth. It may not even be centered around Earth. It may be a complete alien civilization. But there are humans. But uh, it's like there are nine houses. The first house is the house of the emperor. Uh, The undying emperor. He died and became God (laughs) and then came and then became and then trying to remember how it's put it's like god became the emperor and then the emperor became god sort of thing uh and then and then that that emperor is off at fighting the front lines of the wars um but the difference is it it doesn't it it has the feel of 40k a little bit with like the decrepitude of you know the ages and like they're not moving forward per se um, but right, I, but it's but it's not 40K because um the other eight houses uh are they do different things, kind of uh, like they're they're like the ninth house is all about secrets. Um, but each house, uh the leaders and such of each house are necromancers, so but they all oh. have slightly different necromantic powers. But each house also comes from a different planet in i think is a solar system but it could be spread across the galaxy it's like the world building is really cool but it only gives you like little pieces at a time and so you have to like build it up in your mind over time um and like at this point like it feels like the ninth house is way out on pluto um you know, and, and they've been summoned to the first house's planet. And it's described as like basically a big blue and white marble. So it sounds a lot like Earth. But if you're going by the numbering, you would think it would be Mercury. You know, uh, if, you're, right. if you're going by the number of. But but I don't know. <laughs> but it and, and the thing is, is that doesn't matter. Like it, it's 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 the setting. Um, but it's, you know, Gideon in this case is, um, like a foundling, uh, effectively a foundling that's been raised by the ninth house and, but the ninth house won't let her go. And she's been trying to escape all her life, like since four years old or 10 years old or something like that. Um, and she's, I think 18 or 20 at the time of the, the book starting um, and I won't get into more of that because um, but it's it's interesting it's it's a really good book I, I've liked it um, I've been reading it the last few days and I am waiting for my Kindle to launch load uh, I'm uh, halfway through so um, it's it reads pretty fast for me so um, I'm I'm really enjoying it so uh, you know, it's unlike, you know, some of the other books, like I've mentioned in past podcasts where it's like really having a hard time getting past chapter five or something like that. And I'm like two days and I'm already halfway through the book and I'm, I'm going to probably spend several more hours tonight reading it. Just before this one, uh, I finished, uh, a book in the Alex Veris series, um, called Forged. Uh, it's the latest one. It's by Benedict Jaca. Um, And the best way I can describe the Alex, Alex Verest series, is Alex is basically if Harry Dresden were British and a diviner. Um, but he has a lot of the same problems that Harry does um, in that, like, the, the Council of Wizards in Britain really doesn't like him or elements of the Council of Wizards in Britain really doesn't like him and often tries to kill him. Um, and so this is the, the latest in that series of novels. Um, and it, uh, it also, I read, th- read it pretty quickly. As well, um, you know, my wife said, can you angle the candle away so I can sleep, you know, at one point. <laughs> so, um, so that was good. Um, and that series is still going on. Um, not sure how he's going to wrap that one up. Um, but there's. 10 or 12 novels in that series so far so um, and then uh, before that one I read Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen by Lois McMaster Bujold uh, I discovered the Miles Vorkosigan saga which is this book is seems to be the end like the capstone of that series um, and I read it would probably yeah it was a while back uh like they came out she started writing them and they came out in the mid 90s early 90s um and but i didn't discover them until the late 90s early 2000s um and uh every time i find out there's a new one i've picked it up um this one uh does not deal with miles um like he's in the book but for the most part it's about um miles's mother who's nicknamed the red queen um and her uh it's hard to describe he's an admiral in the same uh military um but it's about kind of their budding love affair when they're in their 60s sort of thing um and uh, like it, it, it's funny. Like I enjoy her writing. There wasn't a lot of action in it, um, which is very different than most of the rest of the Miles' And Saga. Um, like the Miles' And Saga borders on military sci-fi in terms of like how it goes, um, or borders on um, Ender's Game in some spots like the like the like the the stunner tests and stuff like that in in Ender's game the training sessions um it they're really good it's a really good series but uh this is feels like she's like and life is going to continue on let me tell you about just a nice simple story about this budding little love affair and all of these little problems that seem like in in past novels would be the meat of the novel of like these little budding problems would, would explode. Like there'd be an explosion of violence or, or whatever, or, or uh, politics or something like that. But then they all just kind of like, yeah. And somebody else is going to handle that. Or they didn't really (laughs) explode because life is just continuing on. Um, It was, it was a little disappointing because I wanted a miles for novel style story but it was also a really good bookend as like, here is the finale. Life is going to continue on your heroes and, and their friends and their family are going to have a nice pleasant life after you shut the pages of the book. It's Like, okay, I, I, I'm good with that. Yeah. There could definitely be a value in that. Yeah. I mean, after, after reading this series for almost 20 years, it's like, yeah, I can, I can shut the, the, shut the covers and, and and uh, and be good with end of that. Very nice. Yeah, and the the other one was just a very short novella uh which I had actually found first. Um I was like, "Oh, uh she's got a new thing out." So I bought it, didn't realize it was a novella and like ripped through it. Um and then uh and it was like, "Oh, it just ended. Well, does she have anything else?" And then that's when I found the Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen. Um Gotcha. But that was uh, Penrick's Demon. Um, and that's a fantasy series that she's been writing, and uh, the setup for it is they have... Uh, I feel like I might have talked with you about this one. Yeah, I think I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, though, or if we yeah. talked about it just hanging out. That's true. Uh, so uh, the the world has these things called demons, with, or that the, the humans there call them demons. Who knows what they are? There's some sort of spirit that can attach itself to a human. And the main character is, uh, riding off to be betrothed and, uh, a woman basically has a heart attack with her ret- retinue. Uh, this priestess has a, a heart attack, uh, on the road. Uh, he runs up to help and effectively hit her demon transfers itself to him. And, uh, All sorts of stuff ensue from that. So uh, I enjoyed it Um, when I have worked my way through a few more of the books that I still have yet to read, which I won't go into now. Um, But uh, when I worked my way through what I still have on my Kindle, uh, I will probably pick up, uh, go back and find the start of that series and pick it up. But Penricks Demon's a good standalone novella. So that's all the books so far. Um, <laughs> and, you know the, the sad thing is I have even more
0: books on my Kindle like I was looking yeah. to the list like oh I bought that I bought that I asked for another one for, for Christmas for my mom
1: um,
0: <laughs> like so there's going to be even more books <laughs> well I've
1: got like five other books that I know of on the Kindle that I want to read and at least two audible <laughs> books that I just picked up because it's I keep getting credits and if Audible is kind of nefarious in this, that if you cancel the subscription, your credits will expire um, and go away. Um, but there aren't a lot of books that I want to grab on the, on Audible at the moment. Um, so I've still got four of them, but they also expire if they're more than like, I think a year old. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pick up a couple of ones that i wanted to pick up. So uh, one of which was a Carl Sagan book. Um, and then the other one was, uh, I don't remember. Um, like I remember, but I it was the same. It's the same author that did um, the becoming New York City uh, okay. book. Um, but I'll It's like seventeen hours of audio. You know, so <laughs> it'll be a right. while. Um, it's probably more of a, a spring or summer one when I go out on really long walks. So exactly. But uh, other media friend of the show, Natalie, she had mentioned uh, lower decks at one point, And I was like, you know what? I, I really want to look at it. Let's, let's see where it is. Oh, it's CBS all access. Well, I have prime. They give a seven day free trial. What the heck? I'll, 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 I'll take a look at it and then proceeded to mainline both seasons of it uh, within a couple of days (laughs) because, you know, working from home, I have a TV and a couch and a laptop. My neck really complains that I am working from the couch. Uh, But uh, yeah, I I mainlined both seasons of Lower Deck, uh, which felt a lot like Futurama meets The Next Generation. I'd say that's accurate. (laughs) Which was really, I I really like it it's It's a really good series, my wife not super fan of that sort of humor per se uh but but I liked it and then after that my my star trek you know uh need was itching, so I went and I started watching discovery uh and really found I enjoyed discovery and have watched all the way up through part one of a Two parter in season three, so I've I've mainlined from season one all the way to season well, that, three. That is a lot of Star Trek, I have to say. Yes, like,
0: I, I I did something similar with with the lower decks and with just the current season of Discovery to get caught up. Um, but yeah, that, that's a lot of Trek. <laughs> that's it's a lot of Trek
1: in in seven days, mind you. Yes. So it's like oh, that's when you start dreaming about Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, and I I managed to do the bad thing of well, not bad, but but. I had a choice of like, hey, what is your continuing subscription going to be? Is it going to have commercials or no commercials? And for some reason, I hit the commercials option, so my free trial had commercials too. Uh, oh, so so I but I've I've watched all of those, uh, and then I wasn't super great, like super into Picard, but I was like, okay, I'm done with Discovery. What other Trek is out there? So I skipped like to episode four or five you know i like read the summaries and then i skipped this episode four or five and then watched the last uh the last half of that series and it was okay uh it was an interesting story but it didn't quite feel like star trek to me yeah i think so i mean i think and that was part of what they were
0: i think in in some ways going for with picard i think um Part of it is just like, it doesn't feel like your federation, right? Or it didn't feel like my federation, right? Like I I want my federation to be optimistic. I don't want my federation to turn its back on the galaxy. I kind of have enough of that in the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) and that's why, that's why Picard leaves in the beginning of the the series is that it's not his federation anymore. But, but part of the thing that I don't like about it is like, they have this whole, uh, Android uprising on Mars and it's like, okay, well, no more synthetics, et cetera. And then, but like everything else that I've seen, like, it seems like that's the reason for like Picard's motivation, but it doesn't seem like it's something that's going to continue on in other Star Treks. It's like, we're going to have this really horrible thing happen, but it's not going to necessarily persist in the persistent universe of Star Trek. Right. Like it, it that's the way it felt. I mean, it's, Somebody totally could do it, but, but yeah, uh, it, I mean, it seemed neat. It seemed kind of cool. I saw the ending kind of coming with what happens with Picard. Like they put like Chekhov's howitzer on the mantle <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> uh, like, and, and, but in typical Star Trek fashion, like it's all neatly resolved at the end of the series, you know? Yes. That, like, like everything's just fine now, you know, so they don't they don't talk about the weird space worms anymore because it was the portal closed. Sort of thing. Right.
0: Right. Weird. I mean, I, I did the parts of me like did enjoy like seeing old friends, right? Like, yeah. you know, seeing the, the, the touch touches back to uh, to next generation and Voyager was cool. And so I, I think that that part of it carried me through, and also I did not try and binge like <laughs> several years of Star Trek in seven days, yes, um, which I am in no way criticizing. I you know I could totally see myself doing exactly the same thing. I had a very like strange weird trip when uh, Battlestar Galactica was out, and I think I binged like all of season two of Battlestar Galactica while well, down with a terrible cold, <laughs> like over the course of three days. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you folks, you do not want to watch that much Battlestar Galactica when you are not. In in your right mind <laughs> right like it's that kind of like terrible cold where you can't sleep but you you, you drift off and like you're in this weird half dream state and throw in
1: Battlestar galactica not a great mix yeah that would be a that would be a trip <laughs> that would certainly be a trip
0: but i really enjoyed. i gotta say going back to the lower decks i really enjoyed the lower decks i think it reminded me of uh john scalzi's red shirts obviously yes um and and so it wasn't quite as much uh, lower decks as I was hoping. Like they still they can't help but be Star Trek and like go off on like bigger heroic journeys. Like it's not just like the like the office space beat Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. But there was enough of that to be able to say like that it was enjoyable. Yeah, it was. Yeah. it was. It was fun. I'll I'll definitely watch future seasons of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, like in terms of Picard, I think my favorite character in it actually was Seven of Nine because they yes she actually like has motivations and grows and like has her own thing at that point. Right. Um, Right. And I would love to see more of
0: that side of things. My biggest complaint about Picard, and this isn't a a super big spoiler, I don't know, but um, it suffers from the same problem that the last star Wars did, which is somebody found the clone tool for starships. (laughs) You don't need to have 20 billion starships on the screen at the same time. Right. Like, Return of the Jedi didn't have it. It still felt like it was an epic space battle, right? You don't need to have 20,000 starships. Yeah. Because you can't see 20,000 starships. So don't bring 20,000 starships.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we won't go into that part of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, but, but Discovery had a similar scene at one point during one of its seasons where like, just all the starships show up. And it just at some point, it suffers from the same thing that the Star Wars prequel suffered for, is there's too much happening on screen. You can't focus right it starts to lose some of its effectiveness because there is too much happening right and you yeah. you can't keep track of the action because it's all just flying past your head
1: yeah in Disco- but between season 1 2 and 3 of discovery you can tell that there was a big tonal shift story shift over those seasons and i and i yes. heard from one of our friends that like the showrunner changed between season 1 and season 2 and 3 um yes. and so i you can definitely tell um Season three um I liked a lot I like a lot so far um, yes me too but like even even season one, which had a very different tone um still felt like Star trek to me, you know yes uh in a lot of ways, so that was still pretty fun uh, it, uh although it is more uh serial than episodic than star trek normally is. yes yes. But I, I did very much enjoy Captain Pike in um, yes in season two of
0: Discovery, and I'm glad that he's going to be back for Strange New Worlds. Oh, which cool. is I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you saw that, but it's going to be like the Adventures of the Enterprise with Captain Pike in charge and the crew of the Enterprise. So that's that's pretty cool. That's that's pretty cool. So I'm I'm really looking, and it's going to be very much like, um, you know, like a classic Trek, right? Like you're going to have a, a, like a an individual. It's not going to be, so I always get
1: serialized and episodic mixed up. Serialized. <laughs> the stories are going to be more self-contained. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's more episodic. Yeah. I would always, I always used to flip them as well. Like the serials going way back before we were born was like the movies right. and they'd have a cliffhanger at the end and then you'd have to come back next week and watch the, movie, the next movie. Right. Um, that's the, that's what serial normally means. And I should remember that. And yet somehow I, I, I never quite do constantly flip them in my
0: head. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I'm loving the Trek. Yeah. I look forward to more Trek. I'm glad that we live in a renaissance of Trek. Yes. It, it warms is. It my is good. Heart. And, and a good renaissance of Trek. So a good. Re- yes, exactly. It's a very, it's a good renaissance of Trek. So now I just need to find somebody to play, you know, the Star Trek role-playing game with and, uh, <laughs> i'll be
1: good to go but right, so, yeah. what,
0: so you're, you're playing a video game
1: i am i understand. I am. uh i had picked up a while back uh i i had sworn off early access for a long time um i still am uh but then gloomhaven came up in early access and i'm like okay well i don't have anybody play the physical gloomhaven and this was pre-coronavirus like like last year uh but uh i was like okay well let me let me give it a shot as single player and i bought it and i'm like yep it's early access that's not great (laughs) and it just it just didn't have anything in there but i was like well i do want to support the development of it so i will not i will i will just i will let it sit i won't be bitter that it's early access and i can't really play it like a final game because it's not um but then uh just uh, a month or so ago, uh, some friends of mine uh, were like, "Hey, we we norm." I was like, "Hey, do you guys want a game?" And it's like, "Yeah, we sometimes do, but we do get together and play Gloomhaven." It's like, "Oh, really?" And so uh, for the last few weeks, we've been playing Gloomhaven, um, and it's much better now. Uh, it's not great. It's not perfect. Uh, it's not a final game. Uh, there's still some interface issues. Um, uh one of our one of our players has a slow laptop, and sometimes their connection will drop um and uh up until this last Sunday when we played um they um, we thought it might have been because of the slow laptop, but another player who doesn't normally play was also playing, and their game froze at the same time so um you know so but overall it's pretty good. Uh, the fact that it saves after every turn and you only have to maybe replay a turn if the game crashes is really nice. Um, not like a whole adventure because that would just right. be like, whatever, we're done for the night. Um, you know, flip the table. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it, you don't have to do the, the manual flipping of tiles and maps and stuff like that. You don't have to lay stuff out on the table, um, which if you're doing it in person would be a lot of fun, but if you're doing it over the internet, uh, it's not fun. So, uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's on steam. Um, which, uh, I've really enjoyed it there. Um, I have Bloomhaven on, uh, what is it? Tabletop simulator, but, that is much more the board game version of it, and I think I like this one better. Than that I, I like the the Gloomhaven actual game. Um, you know, up to four players. Um, you play up to four characters, but you don't have to just because that's the way Gloomhaven is. We often play with three. Um, gotcha. And we've just been leveling up different characters or you know um, switching people in and out depending upon who's playing when and it's it's been a lot of fun a lot of fun all right so uh, back in the game room here um, the uh, the role playing game room we have a lot of they stretch on and on and on they do it's, it's actually pretty awesome um, one day when you know we're all vaccinated with, with uh, against Corona we, maybe we'll all get together and have a little uh, have a game room fest, uh, otherwise known as a convention, uh, where we'll Ooh, all get together yes. and game. Yes,
0: and then we will have to bring our stuff. And I guess that's like the topic we want to talk about, right? It's... Yeah,
1: yeah. So we, uh, you wanted to talk about some uh, or some of your, your GMing hacks and, and planning and things like that uh, for more face-to-face gaming, for the most part. Since the vaccine is now out, uh, hopefully we'll actually be able to use them. Yeah, it would be fantastic. It'll be like, I think probably over,
0: it's probably gonna be over a year since I've played like face-to-face with anyone other than my son. That's not entirely true. We went on vacation. We had, and uh, we played a little D&D with, uh, with our friends over the summer in a socially adjusted appropriate sort of way. But in any case, I have not played D&D with anyone other than 14 year olds in the real world for a very long time. And the thing is, is that before we actually went into lockdown and I'm like, I'm gonna get organized. So I have my game room, which if we ever do a live stream, well, I'll happily show you guys my game room. And I have all my stuff here. And for many years, uh, my game, my room was my game room. My house was basically where the, the group would meet. But, you know, things change and priorities change. And so I'm more than happy to go into other people's houses if it's convenient for the group, right? Or if it's convenient for that person. So you need to watch your kid, whatever. Like we just compromise and do that the challenge is, is that if you're going to venture forth from behind from beyond your own game room where everything is easily accessible you need a plan for bringing stuff <laughs> and so many years ago when my group was first playing and we would do this more regularly like just kind of rotate from house to house to house uh, i would have a series of milk crates and like lunch boxes and other random things that i would just throw everything into so I'm like oh, you know i'm older i'm wiser i think i would get a little bit more organized right <laughs> so my key organizing principle right now is the plano case, okay. <laughs> Which I am hardly the only uh, geek who has these, and so I think they're they're re- they're usually plano uh, is offers in a line of uh, cases that are used for a variety of things. Often uh, tackle boxes. I think most yep. people probably end up using them either for crafts or for tackle boxes. I use mine to store game stuff, and they're cool because. So I have two different sized ones. I have a, re- a bigger one that is large enough to hold D&D books. And they have these plastic compartments that you can slid, slide into them that you can then put things into that have little compartments, right? Helpful. And so um, you can just keep pulling things out. So actually, let me see. I have, I have it next to me so I can actually show you, even if I can't show everybody else.
1: Well, we could. you could take some photos and put them up in our show notes, too.
0: Yes, I will totally do that since it's actually almost organized now. Um, and so I have one of these sets. You can hear the dice rattling. Ooh, sound effects. And so this is, uh, I have one of these that has like all of my tokens in it. So it's got little jewels for to serve as inspiration um, in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, also can be used as like plot points and other things in other games. Yep. I have a bunch of bennies or uh, rather poker, uh, poker tokens, yep. poker chips, which serve for bennies in Savage Worlds and just also can be used as inspiration. I have a number of like small little fish tank jewels, like you know the little things that you'd put on the bottom of a of a fish tank. That you can help yep. me describe them. They, yep. like Beads, little glass beads, I guess is what they're called. So I have a red one, and I have a blue one. What do they mean? Depends on the game. Uh, <laughs> in Savage Worlds, they indicate a wound. Um, or they might, uh, indicate, uh, that someone has been shaken, right? And Dungeons and Dragons, well, you know, you've got all these minis out on the board, which ones hurt? I can't keep track of all the minis. Okay, boom. I just, uh, throw those down and the red ones are the ones that people have injured. I have a bunch of six-sided dice because, of course, you always need a bunch dice. of six-sided dice because you never yep. know when you're going to need to cast Fireball. And then I have my esoteric dice because we're at some point, we're going to do a dice episode, right? I got these at Gen Con. They are uh, D12s with Roman numerals on them, numbered up to, I think, four. And so these just become quick monsters, NPCs, anything to indicate, hey, there's a thing over there. It's where the die is. I have these cool... Let's see, I want to make sure I got the... Um, Inkwell Ideas puts out these great dice that are uh, random dungeon generators. So they, are those like the of- geomorph? Yes. Uh, yes. They're the style. geomorphs. Okay. Okay. Yes. And so the idea is, if you're doing a dungeon, you just like roll the dice and draw it, and then you—it's know, great for inspiration. And so I just—I—I I put all of my stuff in here. So the goal being that I can just grab the case and go. So other things that I put in here, I've—I uh, have uh, an ancient copy of Hero Quest, which okay. is, was a fantasy board game from I think the '80s. Played played that many times. See, I have I've never actually played the game. I just own it and have used it for the last twenty years for miniatures. Got it. (laughs) Because there are good miniatures in there. It has great miniatures in there, and so since my game, my gaming group typically plays D anD D, it has driven many of our fantasy encounters for many, many a year. Um, I haven't figured out how to organize them yet. Uh, Our our dungeon tiles. So Wizards of the Coast published dungeon tiles. Um, which in theory are fantastic because you can just kind of like lay out your map. Like, you know, there's, they have art on them and they represent different rooms or dungeons or, or overland things. Yep. My biggest challenge with them is I don't actually know them well enough to just whip them out of the box and say, oh yes, I need a forest path. Well, let me grab these four tiles, which was going to represent my forest path.
1: Yep. You either have to kind of like, like prepare and pre-plan to use those or you have used them enough to go, yes, I have these things. Let me just
0: grab them. Right. And so I've I've been thinking about because they're they're available for roll twenty and they're they're a little bit pricey, but I could they'd be very handy with my my um Dungeons and Dragons game online. And so getting them for roll twenty might actually provide me with the opportunity to be able to start visualizing what's actually in the box. The other challenge with them is they're a varying sizes. So some of them are like they're not all just like ten by ten cubes or ten right. by ten squares. They are of varying sizes, which is cool because you can have cool scenery on them, but it makes it harder to kind of pack them into a box. Yes. So I haven't come up with a great way of transporting those things yet. So that's the stuff that goes in the box. The other stuff that goes in the box, and perhaps this is my most essential if we're actually talking like Dean Dungeon Master or Game Master hacks, are index cards. I think I get the most mileage out of index cards out of any tool that I have for any role-playing game. Um... I use them to track initiative, obviously, in Dungeons and Dragons. That's a huge thing. Um, I use them for taking notes. I have different colored ones, and what I use the different colored ones for will depend on my mood. <laughs> right? Sometimes the NPCs are green. Sometimes the monsters are pink. Like, it depends on how many cards I have left. Um, I'll also use them to indicate status. right? So, somebody, I think we've all had the situation when playing Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, of course, has all of these kinds of things, but there's conditions, right? Oh, don't forget, everybody, I cast Bless. So you all get an extra D 4 this round. And then of course, what happens? Everybody forgets that they cast bless right right up until the point where they rolled an 18 and they needed 20 to hit. <laughs> and then somebody calls out, Hey, did you remember? Right. So right. I just make a little tent and I fold them over my DM screen and that helps people remember what the heck is going on. Very cool.
1: Yep. I use index cards uh, a lot when running fate to write down temporary aspects or if someone has a boost, um, yes, or, um, since mapping is not super critical in, in fate as it, it would be in like D and D we'll, we'll put out miniatures or, or glass beads or whatever as characters, but I'll do like, here is, you know, zone one of, uh, which is like the control center. And here's the people in the control center. And zone two is like the, the upper decks of this dirigible or something. And we'll have people there. And, and so because you basically can fire so many zones away with a ranged weapon, or you can move so many zones. Um, it makes it easy to just cluster people in there. And if you're in the zone, you can move around as much. Right. Um, and that's what, that's what I use them for is, is, uh, you know, those aspects that are available for players to tap, um, things like that. So, and yes, lots of notes. Um, I've, I've taken to doing the, the notes there because I can kind of shuffle through them really quickly. And then after the game, I might, if, if there's anything that I need to keep track of, I can put it in a notebook, you know, at that point, uh, or if I don't have time, I can just shove the whole thing of note cards into the notebook. And then, you know, when I do have time transfer, them.
0: I will say that's gotten me into trouble. <laughs> I used to do the same thing. And I I found like I have to be, especially now that we're older and I'm not staying up until three in the morning working on my campaign after the campaign ended, right? Like I I could do that when I was 25, doing that when you're 45 is harder. Yep. And so I would just write all these notes down on the NYX cards and I would shove them into a folder and then like, you know, two weeks go by and uh, like, oh wait, where the hell are my notes? Oh wait. There are on index cards. I can't read my writing. What the hell did we do two weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we were in our 20s, it was also easier because we played every week. Sometimes right. we played multiple times a week. That was crazy, right? But yep. like every Friday, you know, I knew the game was coming. Every Wednesday, I'd work on a campaign because that's when Voyager was on um, to, to bring it. it back to Star Trek, right? I had my routine. I didn't have kids. You know, it was easy to do all these things. And now, like, if I write my notes on index cards, I'm doomed. I still do do it occasionally, like, especially when you're, like, doing NPCs on the fly. But I do, I guess I should mention it, my, it's a new piece in the arsenal is the bullet journal we talked about before. Um, Yep. For my, uh, for my D&D game, that's where I'm writing my notes down, right? Like, because, because I was so horrible about staying organized. That's, that's this one right (laughs) here for me.
1: So. Yeah, the I've I've got the same thing for Bullet Journal for me. You know, I've got uh our Brindlewood Bay games uh and all the all the mysteries and NPCs and stuff take up a fair amount. There's uh a D and D game that was supposed to be every other week, but we've only played once. Got the notes from that one. We've got our, our Army Corps of Engineers Special Ops Division fate game that we're working that hunt down cryptids. I've got you know, a fair amount of that. And then I'm in a star Wars game. That's the friends who I played, um, gloom Haven with where we're playing star Wars D six. And, uh, and so I've got my notes in there for that as well. So the, the journal is good. Uh, and the fact that the, the way you organize it with the index, so you can say, yes, Oh, on this, these are the pages for this campaign. And the fact that you don't have to like section off 20 pages of a notebook and say, here's my one page of notes. And then there's 19 <laughs> blank pages until the next campaign. Um, right. I, I really like that organizational piece of, of making an index for those different campaigns. And they're saying, oh, i you know, I skipped 20 pages. Here's the next section of it. Um, it's pretty cool. Right. So I have some other stuff that I throw in the box. When I'm playing
0: Savage Worlds, I dip back the Kickstarter, so I got all the all the toys. So I got power cards and status cards and adventure decks, so that goes in the box. Extra pencils, because you can never have enough pencils and pens when it comes to gamers. Yep. A couple extra sets of dice. If we're playing in my game room, I think as we've discussed before, I have the, the Cup of Shame, which is a huge uh, plastic pitcher I got at an Iron Pigs baseball game that is filled with dice.
1: And if someone forgets it, you get you get. Yes. The, yep.
0: Yes. Pick your dice from the dice of shame. And they're the dice I don't use anymore, but can't bring myself to throw out. Uh, because, I mean, God, who would
1: throw out dice? They're perfectly That's just good. Even if you can't read them and they're all chipped and, you know, older. Right. It, it have been. But but they've been around since you've been a gamer. So, you know, right. Nostalgia.
0: So I might have to what I might need to do and actually like. What I might need to do is just come up with the portable dice cup of shame, right? Find an appropriate cup that I can throw an appropriate number of random dice into. And then like, you know, because it it happens at cons too. So I haven't actually tried this. One of my other motivating factors for doing this was I really would like to go to more game conventions. I got bought the cases, I started to get organized and then COVID happened. No one can go anywhere. So I just have spent the last year like fiddling with my, uh, my set of of tools, but ultimately I'd like to be able to go to a con and just be able to say, I've got my generic RPG box, got this stuff in it, I throw a couple of role-playing game books in it that I'm gonna run that weekend and I have
1: everything that I need to be at the table. Yep. Yep. I one of the things that I that I like adding into the stuff for physical gaming is I have I have access to a Chromebook. It's it's my work Chromebook, but unlike most laptops, um It's completely sandboxed between work and anything else. So I've logged in. I have in the past logged in with my personal account and, you know, most gaming materials are on PDFs these days. I have not taken it to a con. I will say that Uh, I got it after cons were not a thing anymore, but, um, (laughs) but you know, it flips completely around. It's one of those tablet or it's one of those laptops that can turn into a tablet um gotcha. and so i can read the pdf there and so one of the things that i'm thinking about is finding an inexpensive actual tablet and loading it up with every pdf that i own cuz i can they don't take up that much space and then just taking that with me to a con right i have to worry about battery power at that point but i don't have to worry about my back
0: <laughs> yes this is very true as we talked about before you know, with that case this big, wandering the halls of Gen Con, it's not going to be viable. I, th- yeah. I would take the smaller case if I were to do anything like this. The smaller case I have is like, uh, I don't know, it's like half the size of the other one. And so it's perfect for Savage World style books because those are smaller, I don't know what the actual format's called, like more like folio style as opposed to your big heavy They're um, Well, they're about the size
1: note. of uh, of the bullet journals, right? yes yeah that's about right I mean they're a little, yeah. the, the latest
0: iteration is a little bigger but still they're not over like really huge. And 6 honestly, by go- 8
1: or something like that
0: right and if I'm going to a con I'm not going to play D&D yeah I'm going to play any other game other than D&D because if, yeah, if I can I'm, play D&D any more time here
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean it, the games that I have played the, the cons where I've played D&D at um, like when I go to Gen Con I have very rarely played D anD D. Years ago, I tried like Living City or Living Greyhawk, and I'm used to role playing, sitting down and playing my character, etc. Whereas those living campaigns were, uh, I mean, there's a saying that came out of Living Greyhawk was "I greyhawk the room" or "I greyhawk the body," <laughs> which means that I, ser- I, I right. search it as thoroughly as possible to get all the stuff. Um, right, and that's not. How I wanted to play, and so if I did play a D and D game, it was someone is running an individual game, right. and I'm going to sit down and play that person's adventure. Um, and and I've I've liked those. Um, but like you, like usually I will play D and D. Like when I was playing D and D pre COVID stuff, like we, one of the most of the groups that I've been part of have not enjoyed my non D and D games. <laughs> They're like, we just want to play D and D, you know? And, and so cons were always the place that I went to, to play games other than D and D. Um, so right. I'm with, I'm with you there.
0: I mean, it wasn't always this way, like in the, in the early, like the late nineties, early two thousands, when like D and D third edition came out, um, and the RPGA was still a force. Mm-hmm. Um, they would run things like specials and opens and what have you, which were really good con games. And I think we've talked about them some before. And so it wasn't just Living City. Like Living City, I always had a kind of a, a similar feeling. Like it just it wasn't quite what I was into. Right. Some of those other games were great stories. And so over time, though, either, especially as the hobby has proliferated, the number of games that are out there is just so huge that you know I just I want to play all the games. Yep. Um, but talking about tools... <laughs> I also, I use a laptop for my adventure notes. I use it for hit point tracking. Uh, like I usually have a spreadsheet for D&D to keep track of it because it's easier. I've, I've been using index cards a lot more for keeping track of, of hit points in 5th edition because I feel like the hit point totals are a little bit more reasonable and the game flows better. Like I just I haven't done as like crazy complicated spreadsheets as I used to do for 3rd for edition. I think there were also a lot of status changes in 3rd edition where numbers would go up and down a lot. And so I have to keep track of how people were being buffed and debuffed, And like, I just needed a spreadsheet to be able to keep track of all of the things. Um, And
1: I can get away with that on index cards now. In, In fifth edition, if you like go to sleep, you're full, you're back full. Right. You know, it's, it's not like the earlier editions. Like I'm, you and I are used to the editions of, Hey, you got injured. And unless you have magical healing, it's going to take days or weeks for your character to recover. Right, Um, right. You know, and and if you, like, narratively, that was kind of interesting, but it could also slow the game down, which is why I think they changed it for 5th edition to be more of, we're just heroes, and we can get the crap beat out of us, but we're just fine the next day. Right. Kind of makes some of the situations that we used to deal with uh, or or set up even in uh, as GMs not possible in this newest <laughs> right. edition. You know, it's like, hey, okay, we're gonna have them slog their way through these these what should be minor fights, but it's gonna chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away at them, and then they're gonna have the big bad, but they're gonna be not full. They're not gonna be ready for it at the end. You know, o- over this epic week-long set of battles whereas in fifth right. edition it'd be like okay well it's a week okay well we'll just heal up after every day you know no problem right. you know so it, it's a different feel i'm not saying it's ba- better or worse i'm just saying it's different
0: right and i think you know i mean they've got the hit dice that you can do after a short rest and you can you can still do that kind of war of attrition if you would just you know if, there's, if they're in a dangerous place and there's a lot of encounters and people just aren't recovering their stuff after a long rest, like, yep. you, you can get to that. There is a little bit, though, the expectation there amongst the players, especially newer players, is that you're going to get it, right? right? Why didn't we get it, like why are we getting encounters every night? Yep. <laughs> it's like, well, because you're in the Badlands. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you're far from civilization. It's dangerous. Maybe you want to retreat to that nice little town over the hill. Not making you, but you know. So it is still possible, but I agree. It's, 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 a, it's kinder, gentler in that regard. So the other thing that I use, and I find it's a very interesting to me why I do this. I don't actually know why. I use a GM screen for Dungeons & Dragons. Always have, probably always will. Savage Worlds. Um, and occasionally other games, I always roll out in the open. I always like, (laughs) I just, I'm sitting there with the guys and I'm rolling dice and I don't have a GM screen. My notes are just kind of off to the side. And I, I, I think that's just because it's the style I developed when I was playing Savage Worlds in part, because I think we maybe we were learning the game together and we all wanted to see what the roles were. We were working through the math. It's not like I cheat as a dm uh as as we for playing d and d, but you know you, you kind of like you're hard, you're holding your cards closer to your chest when you have that dm screen there there's a little bit of a sense of mystery mm-hmm. like it is a divide between
1: you and your players right, and you don't you can stage stuff the established worlds also allows for like the players to if i remember if i haven't played it a lot um like maybe two games ever um I'd love to play again but Doesn't it narratively have ways for the players to say certain things exist or things like that? Like by spending a Benny, they can declare things. Or am I, am I, that might actually, that might be, that might be Hollow Earth Expedition that allows for that. Yeah, I think Hollow Earth Expedition, lets you do that, I think um, Savage Worlds, like,
0: I'm trying to remember. I think there might be some rules for that that we've just never used. But I mean, I think that the, the, the bennies flow freely. It's a lot. It, it is fast and furious. Things tend to turn
1: like. Do you use modules like you would in D&D? No. OK, because because well, I never used uh, like I had the DM screen. We've I've tried to use it before. It's really handy as a new GM because a lot of the tables are on there and you don't have to have them memorized. But after using right. them so often. They become, you know, the screen becomes less useful from that standpoint, but we never had huge, like big tables to play at for the most part. And it would just, right. you know, and, and we were shorter back then. <laughs> like, so if we were playing at a big dining room table, like, you know, I'd have, I'd have to like sit up to see my, uh, or stand up, which is partly where I guess part of my GMing style is. Cause I, I do tend to stand a lot when I'm especially con gaming, if I'm running a con game. Uh, I'll stand just to get the blood flowing and, and such, but, but like, I never really used the GM screen very often, but I also never, wasn't really running out of a module that I needed to hide from people. And so, uh, like, especially like a map, I'd be drawing the map as needed. And so they didn't really need to see if they saw a, a fragment of a map, it was just a sketch of it, of what, you know could happen sort of thing right um so i don't i don't know if that's maybe the same sort of case like maybe you did it if you were running modules back then or yeah i don't know i don't know
0: i think i think i did you know and so we're talking about habits that were developed when we were like 12 year olds right so right, right. <laughs> part of it is it has always been an always shall be right uh and so i because i don't generally run modules like occasionally i'll run canned stuff but okay. um and I'll have my maps behind the screen. And so there is that, like referencing screens. But sometimes I'll just throw that into, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't come up that often. I think what, I think part of what it is, is in in Savage Worlds, for me, I think I just end up being a much more dynamic DM. So you have, in Savage Worlds uses playing cards for initiative, right? And so I have this oversized deck. And so I stand up and I like throw the cards around the table, right? Nice. Kind of like you were in a casino, right? And so they, fly, and and like, there's this, very uh visceral reaction to just tossing the tile the the cards out and everybody sees like oh man the joker just came up and like there's like a <gasps> at the table right or there's a groan when somebody gets a 2 and that happens every single round so it's very dynamic as a dm you're just you're constantly re- sh- you're constantly redoing initiative after every combat or after every round of combat i think there's also the the dice tell a story in savage worlds because they explode mm-hmm and so, when I, as a DM, throw my dice down and people see two sixes come up, I'm like "oh crap, oh no," <laughs> right? And right. Then I roll it again. I get another two sixes, and those dice just keep exploding. And you get to like a fifty-eight, and people are like, "oh man, we're going to have to do some math, and this is really bad." Yep, yep. <laughs> right, and you get into in that dynamic. It feeds. It feeds the emotions at the table. And it's not like we don't also do that in D&D. D&D just does it a little differently. And so I think part of it is just like how Savage Worlds evolved for me as a DM. And mm. uh, it's just interesting. <laughs>
1: well, it's, I wonder also one of the things that, one of the reasons why you might want to not have things like your roles out in the open in an older D&D game is, you know, the players, like I, I've never been one to try and defeat the players. But I have certainly right. been one to try to not kill the players, you know, like, oh, I made right. this encounter a little harder or they aren't going after this encounter or, you know, their dice have been really bad. And my dice have been really good. Right. It allows you to kind of budge the dice a little bit so that the story right. continues in a good way. I mean, you can still beat up on them and stuff, but like having having someone just die outright. Right. You know, is not fun you know, in, right. in a lot of ways. I can, I can totally see in D&D why, why someone, and I'm not saying that this is another reason for, your, for possibly having a screen, but I could see it being a reason to have a screen would be so that you can keep the game fun and tell, tell the story that you all want to tell and not have the dice dictate a character death. Whereas in Savage Worlds and other systems like that, death isn't as big a threat. Um, right, or as easy to achieve as older D and D games are. Like fifth, yes. fifth edition, you can get like hit for a huge amount of damage. I mean, they do have like insta death scenarios still if you get hit for too much. But it's like, right. but it's not like a oh, I'm at negative one, and then as each round progresses, I'm going to proceed down to negative ten, and once I hit negative ten, I'm dead. It, you have the death saves, and you can stabilize in the middle of it if possible. You know, if right. you roll well. So, right? You know, even fifth edition is a little kinder with death, <laughs> at than, least at
0: higher levels.
1: <laughs> yeah, then uh, yeah, then the old er, earlier edition.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think part of it it does give you a little bit of that fudge factor. You can read the table as a DM and see like if things are just going badly and people aren't having fun. You like it gives you a little bit of cover. I think uh, Savage Worlds and Fate and, and other newer games give the players more ways to mitigate the risk and the damage or they make failure more fun. Right. And so that people are willing to, to put themselves out there and to take bigger risks because, because of that. They know they can Benny it. You know, they, they, they know that they're going to be rewarded for a Benny with Bennies because they were role-playing and the economy is just different. And so I think it just opens up the whole table more, at least in, in my experience.
1: I mean, they, they kind of, um, the newer games and even, even D and D now, uh, which I would consider a newer game now as well, you know, yes. they, <laughs> they discovered, you know, over years and years of role-playing that there are not fun things about the role-playing game, uh, about role-playing games that have been put out before let's right. fix those problems. You know, one of the problems, and this still happens in, in D and D and other games, like one of the worst Fun killers is losing your turn, and yes, effectively, save do nothing, right? Right, and, and and that save versus do nothing. If you have one attack and you roll and you miss, I count that as losing your turn because nothing cool mm-hmm. happened. You missed. Oh well, try again next time. Um, a lot of newer systems, those failures can be made into more story for you. Um, right, or like in Fate Condensed, even if you roll horribly, you can still say, I want to succeed at my action, but at a really serious cost to right. something. And then the narration part, you know, creating of the story there happens, which I I, I find really cool because that means that the player who rolled badly can kind of choose, they, they have the choice of, yes, I just missed, or no, I hit, but something... Is going to bite us later, sort of thing, right? Yeah, so I think you know, to, the, uh, to to
0: kind of like start to wrap it up a bit. I guess one of the things that we're talking about is the, your hacks and trip trips trips. Your hacks and trips. Uh, your hacks and. <laughs> and- <laughs> tips and what have you like the little things that you do during the game can be very much influenced by the game that you're playing which uh, is not rocket science but you know it, it very much that's very much the case right like what i might do to facilitate a fate game or to get that fate vibe is going to be different than what i do for a dnd game and i think what's interesting too is when you can combine the things that you learned in fate and you bring it to dnd Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you know, you start using the idea of zones. Right. Because you know, if you're only ever doing a battle map in D&D, it limits what you could do. But if you have if you're doing a big city fight and you've, you're introducing like the different zones in the city as a way of being able to to abstract out like the fact that this thing is happening, like in the equivalent of Central Park. Right. Which is harder to do if you're not doing theater of the mind, but you still want to have some representation. Right. And so to pull those kinds of things in and cross pollinate the games is is pretty cool. Yep. Yep. Only. So everybody, we'd like to know your tips and tricks. Uh, we are always welcoming feedback and we always appreciate when you listen. So if you have feedback for us, you can send it to us at podcast at layer or via Twitter at layer of secrets. That's the at symbol and layer of secrets. You can also visit layer of com and leave us feedback topic ideas or your own thoughts on this and other things that we've talked about.